From Share Profits, brought to you from Wales by 30 Yards, this is the Share Profits Radio Show, episode 17, for the 9th of November, 2019. And here's your host, Tom Waverth. It is indeed Tom Winifred coming to you from Wales by just 30 yards with the 17th edition of Share Profits Radio. I just had a call from a young man at a firm called Eco Equities. I think that's the name of the firm. I don't quite know how I got on their uh, call sheet, uh, but they were contacting me about an opportunity in medicinal cannabis. Would I be tempted to invest? I think I might just actually be to blame myself. I might have responded to an advert on ADVFN, not because I was interested in uh, uh, the medicinal cannabis opportunity, but just to see what promotional guff I was sent uh, to see how uh, uh, other investors were potentially being hoodwinked. Anyhow, the young man, he was obviously a young man, uh, 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 said that uh, I'd expressed an interest in a medicinal cannabis cannabis, uh, uh, investment opportunity, and I wondered if I was still interested. I said, no, I'm not. I really didn't want to take the phone call at all. Uh, Why, sir, may I ask, are you not no longer interested in the medicinal cannabis opportunity? He was obviously, by the sound of his voice, a very young and naive young man. So I said, well, if you look at the American Cannabis Index, the index of cannabis stocks, uh, it's uh, gone down like a lead balloon over the past few months. Uh, I've actually written about cannabis, and I warn people that it is a bubble waiting to burst. Ultimately, cannabis, uh, uh, and even medicinal cannabis, uh, there are very few barriers to entry in the market. In terms of producing cannabis, well, it's just like lettuces. All you need is some land, some glass houses, a bit of fertilizer, a few seeds, and you're in there. So anyone can produce it. This is a bulk commodity product. Uh, the uh, fact that in the past it's been able to or been able to attract high prices for flogging cannabis is because it's illegal. It's like heroin. Now, heroin's actually a, a commodity product. It's grown from uh, uh, poppy seeds. It's manufactured from poppy seeds. They grow everywhere in places like Afghanistan. Uh, again, the reason that it in the past attracted high margins and high prices was because it's illegal uh, in flogging this product or producing this product or importing this product. You run the risk of arrest and going to prison. And in order to offset that, to compensate for that risk, people uh, have a high markup on their services. Uh, Now that cannabis is legal in some uh, utterly misguided territories, uh, of course, the price has utterly plunged and it's plunged even more uh, because it is so easy to grow the stuff. In terms of medicinal cannabis, yes, of course, uh, there has to be, uh, there is some barrier to entry. You can't just get some cannabis plants and boil it up in a uh, witch's cauldron and turn it into a medicinal product. But it doesn't appear to be that difficult to produce products uh, which have uh, quasi-medicinal effects. Whether they have any real benefits or not is, is something which is up for debate. Uh, Again, there are no barriers to entry. So ultimately, in an area where there are very limited barriers to entry, margins will come down. If margins are very high, uh, it's just basic economics, the sort of thing that that, that the Labour Party doesn't understand. If margins on a product are very high, people can get an enormous return on capital, then more capital will be uh, attracted to the industry. There will be more suppliers. Therefore, as supply goes up, assuming that demand stays constant, and all the evidence actually is that cannabis demand has stayed constant, uh, relatively constant in markets where it's been legalised, Uh, 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 then uh, prices will come down. And uh, we've seen the early stages of that. It's quite obvious it's a bubble. So I told the young man I'd written about the the, the bubble. And so also my friend Gabriel Grego's written about cannabis frauds. Uh, The whole sector's a recipe to lose all your money. Uh, This is what I told the young man. Uh, He said, well, with respect, sir, uh, I I just, I, I beg to differ. The facts are, 
Well, no, I've given him the facts. The, the facts are that this is a commodity product. The fact is that investors have done their conquers. If you just look at uh, 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 the cannabis index, uh, uh, the facts are that there have been some frauds. Oh, he said, oh, Sonny, Sonny, you know, I've been doing this game for 30 years. And with respect, I think I probably know more about it than you do. Uh, I don't think we're going to take this conversation any, any further, are we? And I put the phone down. I don't like putting the phone down on people. Um, but it should also tell you something about the nature of cannabis investors that they are calling me. They're not calling me because I am a, uh, a sort of fairly obscure financial journalist uh, who once did a game show on television. Uh, they're not calling me because they're starting with W's in the alphabet. They're calling me because they think I'm a mug punter because I registered my interest uh, uh, following a promotion with ADBFN. Uh, 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 eco equities are calling mug punters. If the opportunities in medicinal cannabis, which uh, the, I don't know the specifics of the opportunity that eco uh, equities has, but if it was a great opportunity, you know, it wouldn't be with a shitty little firm like eco equities employing spotty 20 year olds who don't know what they're talking about. Uh, it would be Goldman Sachs raising the money for it. Uh, and if it was a great opportunity, it wouldn't be Goldman Sachs calling out people like me, uh, readers of the ADVFN website, to try and raise the money. Uh, they'd be calling fine, upstanding fund managers like Neil Woodford. Oh, no, maybe not him anymore, but uh, uh, other people of that ilk. And they'd be getting institutional money in. The fact that you now have purveyors of pot investments uh, calling out mug punters from the ADVFN bulletin board uh, trying to desperately raise money. And by the way, I think this is actually not the first call I've had from uh, Eco Securities on this subject. So there's clearly, uh, having scrolled through their roller deck once uh, and not raised enough money for this fine, upstanding member of the cannabis community, uh, they're going through the roller deck again, uh, probably with a fresh batch of totally uh, 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 ignorant salesmen hunting commission. Uh, you can tell this has all the hallmarks uh, of opportunities uh, jumping on a bandwagon, which has long since passed its heyday. Uh, we are past the days of peak pot in terms of market madness. People are now looking at the reality uh, of uh, what, the, what the economics of the market uh, and the euphoria has abated. People are looking at the valuations which some people paid for cannabis investments even six or nine months ago and thinking they must have been smoking something an awful lot stronger uh, 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 than a packet of Benson Hedges gold in order to make that investment but overall, the other message to take for it is if you get a call, which is either a cold call or a quasi-cold call. I call this a quasi-cold call because I did register interest many, many moons ago for something. Uh, but it's still pretty much a quasi-cold call. If you get a call for anything on investment matters, just do not touch it. Uh, it is the way that people very operating very much at the bottom end of the barrel in financial services operate, uh, uh, making phone calls from uh, either legitimate or semi-legitimate, or in some cases not even at all legitimate, uh, 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 lists of numbers to call. Uh, that on its own should be enough to deter you from making any such investment. This is the 16th edition of Share Profits Radio. Uh, I'll be covering a couple of subjects in this week's show. Once again, I've not got a guest. It's a bit of a pain getting a guest. Some of them uh, have bloody useless microphone connections. Malcolm Stacey. Uh, and I get loads of complaints from people saying they can't hear them. And, you know, I can't hear them some of the time. Uh, 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 and uh, obviously, you just have to organise things. So uh, the, there will be a guest coming up pretty soon. But uh, for the time being, he's going to have to put up with me. I hope I'm not too boring. As you know, uh, this uh, podcast is free. Uh, I hope you're enjoying it, uh, considering it good value for money. Um, but it comes through the sponsorship. Uh, this week's sponsor is Open Orphan PLC, which is listed on the uh, it was formerly a bit of a dog called uh, Ven Life, I think, which always lost money, but did at least have uh, tangible sales of in excess of 10 million sterling a year. 
It was taken over by a new management team led by Cathal Friel, who is a friend of mine and has a good record uh, in corporate finance transactions. It's doing the right thing, I believe, in terms of cutting costs uh, and also following a buy and build strategy. I'm quite happy to take sponsorship from Open Orphan because I am a shareholder. Uh, the shares are now 6, 7p, something around that region. Uh, I'm perfectly confident they will be in double figures uh, before too long, uh, but I'm not recommending them. I'm just saying I'm holding them for that sort of level myself. If you want to find out more about the company, you can either listen to Cathal talking on Share Profits Radio Edition 8, uh, or uh, you can follow the company and do follow the company at, at Open Orphan on Twitter, and it will give you an update on all its developments. Anyhow, thank you to Open Orphan and Cathal Friel for sponsoring this edition of Share Profits Radio. Now, uh, oh, you don't want, don't want to invest in uh, 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 medical companies or consultancy businesses, or uh, you just want to invest in oil stocks and gold stocks, don't you? Now, I, I hope you don't feel that way, but I know that quite a lot of people investing in the AIM casino do. My colleague on Share Profits, Peter Braley, says one of the weaknesses of the site is uh, that you don't have enough companies, uh, don't have enough articles on oil companies. Why don't you pay me more so I can I can write some more for you? Uh, well, thank you for the offer, for Peter. Uh, as you may not know this, but I started my career as an analyst of oil equities uh, at Wood Mackenzie in Edinburgh. Uh, we were, uh, no thanks to me whatsoever, since I was just a graduate trainee polishing people's shoes and that sort of thing. Uh, uh, but we were the number one rated team across the city. Uh, so, so I learned from people who, uh, or I worked from people, polished the shoes of people who knew what they were talking about, even if I didn't, uh, way back in the black and white era. But I can follow oil stocks if I want. Uh, nonetheless, I, I find it increasingly boring writing about oil and mining exploration stocks, simply because they're such utterly rotten investments. Why is it that we are, uh, as investors in AIM casino companies, so uh, attracted to oil, gas, uh, uh, exploration companies and to mining uh, exploration and development companies? Why are we so attracted to it? They are, in terms of the percentage of the companies left on the AIM casino, both sectors are grotesquely overrepresented uh, in terms of market cap, in terms of numbers. Uh, in terms of profitability, of course, they're underrepresented since barely any of them actually make any money at all. Barely any of them get into prop, uh, profitability or production. And that is one of the things which should be alarming you. If you look at the number of companies that have listed on AIM as oil explorers, gas explorers, or explorers for gold, uh, precious, or base metals, and then you look at the number of companies uh, which are around today and are involved in those sectors, you'll see that the first number is way bigger than the second number. The first number would be well over 1,500. The number of companies that are of those 1,500 that are still around and are involved in either the hydrocarbon or mining sectors will be, uh, I suspect, just two or 300. And then how many of those companies which are still around are, after all these years, actually producing anything. Well, that number really would horrify you uh, because the number really is very, very few indeed. Very few, a very small percentage of the companies which come to the AIM casino or indeed uh, the lower reaches of the standard list actually make it from being an exploration stock uh, into being a producer. There's uh, two fundamental reasons for that. Uh, the first is that, like it or not, uh, the best exploration prospects, whether you're exploring for gold or tantalum or iron or oil or gas or whatever, the best exploration prospects have already gone. Uh, they are in production. Uh, and if they haven't gone, then they've been snapped up by people who can afford to write big checks to bribe the locals, uh, secure the acreage, make commitments about the capital expenditure which they're going to do. So all the best places are already gone. Therefore, that would tell you that those companies which are smaller companies, which are listing on the AIM casino, uh, by definition, are very, very unlikely to have found a great prospect, a prospect which could hold a world-class 
discovery or even indeed just a commercial discovery. Now, of course, there are exceptions. I remember when my friend Joseph L. Raggi uh, of Sentiment Egypt, was just, Sentiment Egypt was starting up with Sentiment uh, on the uh, AIM Casino. The shares were just 7p, and I did tip them uh, 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 before, I think, taking profits at around £1.30 or maybe something of uh, that sort of level. Anyhow, I, I, I made my readers a lot of money on this. Sentiment was unusual. Not only was Joseph... Uh, a, a very competent fellow, and I think he still is a very competent fellow. I haven't spoken to him for a little while. Um, but actually, at Sukari in Egypt, uh, the company did have a prospect, a gold prospect, which was world class, which was clearly commercial, uh, and which the company has been able to get into production. But it is very rare in that respect. Most companies are looking at prospects which have either been explored in the past by bigger companies and abandoned or haven't been explored and they haven't been explored for very obvious reasons. My back garden has not been explored for oil for the very obvious reason this is exceedingly unlikely there is any oil in there. And that is the reality uh, about most companies on the AIM casino. Most of those junior explorer companies are exploring dog end uh, 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 assets, pretty low-grade assets. Now, uh, they will tell you that things have changed. Uh, common excuses, oh, yes, this uh, 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 patch of land in uh, Bongo Bongo land was explored for copper in the pick-a-date to suit your argument, uh, but then the uh, 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 price of copper crashed, and so the major walked away uh, without having completed its study. And uh, based on the grades uh, which it did discover, they weren't commercial then, but at today's copper price, they are commercial. Change your location, change the name of the major, change the name of the commodity. That is a common story. Or, yes, the major explored it back in the 1950s, and we've got some old data we've discovered um, but with new technology, we've been able to underlook the, that data and look at far deeper deposits and sidetrack it. And it looks far more interesting and is far more commercial at today's prices. You've heard these stories uh, time and time and time again. Uh, but the reality is these are the acreage which companies on the AIM casino or smaller companies on the main market, which uh, they are able to secure, is likely to be very unexciting. It is likely, it is almost inconceivable that it will be world class, uh, but it is almost certain that it will not be commercial, if indeed it has anything at all within it. Uh, so that is one reason why most companies on the AIM casino involved in the resources world uh, fail. The, uh, the second reason is the issue of financing. The, by its nature, the uh, uh, discovery of the development of uh, uh, and the development of uh, any uh, hydrocarbon asset or mining asset is incredibly capital intensive. Uh, whereas BHP Billiton gets the revenues and profits from its existing operations uh, to fund its exploration activity and its development activity, junior miners have nothing to fund their activities with. These are very high-cost activities. They have nothing to fund it with other than capital raised from investors. And these are capital-intensive projects. If one looks at companies on the AIM casino, it can be an incredibly long time between when they start exploration and when they get into production. An extreme example, of course, is Amma Minerals, which listed in 2004, it had already been exploring uh, its Kudmani prospect in the far east of the Soviet Union, uh, the former Soviet Union, for a couple of years. Here we are in 2019, and it's still exploring. Uh, it is uh, saying it is going to be in production by 2023, but uh, I think there's more chance of me shagging shack Cheryl Cole by 2023 than by uh, of this company being in production. Uh, even if it hits that target, 
uh, that would still be uh, about 20 years since between the beginning of exploration and the beginning of production. Now, it is an extreme example, uh, but it makes the, the makes the point for you all that it does take an awfully long time. And throughout that process, companies have to be funded by investors with funding round after funding round after funding round. At a best case scenario, this is going to be pretty dilutive to those who get in the beginning. Uh, but in a worst case scenario, when you find that in the end you can't actually fund the prospect, then you're going to lose all your money, as I think will be the case uh, with another extreme example, Sirius Minerals. Uh, it just failed at the final funding hurdle. I have my questions about the uh, 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 value of the prospect, but uh, that's for another day. But it failed at the final funding hurdle, and it now risks a very real possibility that investors will lose all of their money in the company after so many years. Now, uh, the company can be derailed in its attempts to raise funding by so many things. It could be derailed uh, by the company having a mishap, uh, whether that is, let's think, a, a management issue. There was well, Chemera Resources, the, the senior manager who took all his clothes off and exposed himself to a female member of staff and chased her around after a party somewhere in Mozambique. I think that's an extreme example of a personnel issue, but you can have uh, many other personnel issues. There can be management failings. That can derail the share price. Uh, or there can be uh, a sector derail, uh, uh, derailings. Uh, you know, if you are exploring for copper and the copper price absolutely tanks, it doesn't matter that you're years away from production, your shares will be hit. It could be you just enter a bear market at the wrong time. There's a bear market in mining stocks. We all remember the one uh, from 2010 onwards. It really didn't matter how good your project was. There were some good projects uh, uh, held within aimlisted companies at the time, but it may made no difference. Investors had seen mining shares go through the roof in the late noughties. Uh, they'd seen the excess that had come with that, uh, management greed, corruption, fraud, etc., etc., and they'd done their conquers. And they were so repelled by that experience that we entered a bear market. It is often the way. Uh, you just remember the dot-com boom and bust. In 2001, we were still in the dot-com boom. Uh, and, you know, technology shares were flying through the roof. After that, we had the dot-com crash. Uh, shares just absolutely cratered. Uh, within two or three years, you had technology shares uh, which were in shares in profitable companies with net cash, which were trading at a discount to net cash. That was the level of repellence, the level of disgust uh, with uh, technology stocks uh, as you entered the uh, uh, dot-com bust. And that uh, hostility to, dot -com, to te all technology stocks, even only sort of tangentially related to technology stocks, that level of repellence uh, continued for six or seven years. And we've had that with mining stocks, Following the boom of the late noughties, we've had the bust. Now, if you are in a phenomenal bear market, even if you have a good project, it can be enough to mean that you just can't get funding to take it forward for the next phase of drilling or the first phase of development, etc. Uh, equally, if the oil price tanks, you can have oil companies which just can't get that funding. And that results either in just mega dilution, gazillions of shares having to be issued, or in the company failing to be able to go on, it having to go bust, and someone else being able to buy the assets and develop it at a better time. Those sort of things can happen. And given that the time taken to get a project from first exploration through to production is so incredibly long, it's almost certain that a company which is uh, in business for the whole of that period is going to find itself operating for at least once, if not twice, in such an appalling bear market that its shareholders take a pasting. So all of those are reasons why people are almost certain to lose money in uh, uh, mining stocks. There is, of course, another one, the, the issue of management. A mining company is run uh, by a promoter. Mark Twain famously defined a mine as a hole in the ground uh, 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 next to which stood a liar. Uh, he would have made the same point about uh, oil companies. Well, uh, that's perhaps a little bit harsh, although people looking at the behaviour of many folks on the AIM casino would think that Mark Twain got it uh, bang on the money. 
There is certainly an issue that you cannot afford to be a shrinking violet, a mouse, if you are running a loss-making business on the AIM casino or indeed on any market anywhere in the world. If you are running a loss-making business, which is going to require fresh capital at regular intervals, you have to go out there and shout about it because there are hundreds of people in exactly the same position. And there is only a limited supply of risk capital, which people are prepared to throw at such entities. So if you just sit there in the corner, mouse-like, and make no claims whatsoever about your business, you say nothing, you don't promote it, you will struggle to get your slice of that capital, and therefore your shareholders will face either dilution or complete wipeout as your company goes bust. So the only people who can really take these companies forward are those who shout the loudest. The danger here is uh, it's all very well promoting your asset, uh, but where does the far, where is that line come between promoting your assets with in an aggressive one, uh, manner and making outlandish claims which are simply not true or at least not verifiable at that stage? I'm afraid the line is crossed all too easily. If one thinks back to the Horse Hill uh, story involving UK oil and gas. Uh, uh, over the past four or five years in the United Kingdom, you see that line being crossed. David Lenegas, the chief promoter, uh, is a clever man. He has promoted many, many companies over the years in England, Australia and the United States. Uh, uh, most of them, in fact, I think all of them, um, uh, being pretty low-grade stuff. I don't think Lenegas has ever promoted a company that's made a profit other than Lonro. Uh, which turned out to be a complete and utter fraud, and those profits were fictitious. Uh, uh, so if you ignore fraudulently booked profits, he has never promoted a company that has been profitable. But Lenigas is a wily old operator. He's a charming man in a sort of heavyweight, uh, uh, bruiserish sense. Uh, uh, and he chose his words carefully. And he made some fairly outlandish claims, suggesting if one looks at the data from one drill well in the Horse Hill Basin and extrapolates, 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 one can arrive at a figure of X. Uh, that's called Lenny maths. Uh, uh, it's uh, a very peculiar form of maths, uh, uh, which, which is, is actually nonsense, but it's not an outlandish claim, which is an outlandish claim, but he's justifying it in a careful way. The uh, other fellow involved in promoting uh, UK oil and gas in the Horse Hill uh, area was Steve Sanderson, lying Steve Sanderson. Uh, he just said flat out there's six billion barrels of oil here. Uh, he was then confronted by the press about how did you make that claim because there's no justification for it whatsoever. And he said, oh, I didn't make that claim. That's not true. Someone else made it. And then uh, video footage emerged of him making that claim. Hence, we know he's a liar. Now, where do you draw the line? Had uh, 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 UK oil and gas and the horse and assets been promoted not by Big Dave Lenegas or Lion Steve Sanderson, uh, but by Mother Teresa, uh, she would have said, well, it's just some fields. We've done a bit of early drilling. You can't really draw your own conclu any conclusions from it whatsoever. And this is a really high-risk investment. That would have been true, utterly true. But the share price wouldn't have moved on it, in fact. It would have probably gone down, and it would have been impossible for UK oil and gas run by Mother Teresa to have raised any more money. It would therefore have gone bust, and uh, 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 the, there would have been no chance to prove whether the assets have any real value or not. And that is, of course, the dilemma. So you don't get – people like Mother Teresa don't normally uh, – they never uh, become attracted to running aimlisted resource companies. It is always people like Lenny Gas, who is uh, an aggressive promoter but uses, chooses his words carefully, and Lion Steve Sanson, who just tells outright lies – it's hard to actually get to the truth. Having 30 years' experience helps you along the way, but I get taken in just like everybody else. It's hard to get to the truth of who is telling porkies and who is just being highly aggressive. And what is the real truth? Uh, one thing is not helped is that a lot of investors in this space 
really don't know what they're talking about. They don't understand how oil works. They don't understand how oil companies are valued. They don't understand how fields deplete, etc. They don't understand what grams per tonne means with a gold mine, yet they invest uh, uh, nonetheless. And they always tend to do so with uh, an undue sense of optimism. Hence, as the great bear raider Wazim Shakur has said, one of the most amazing features of the A market is the ability uh, the collective ability of private investors to misprice risk with junior resource plays. They always get it wrong. They're always too optimistic, which is why if you can get a shorter way, it is often such a profitable trade. Sadly, uh, there's rarely any borrow in most of these stocks because no institutions invest in them for perfectly understandable reasons. So all of those are reasons why I can understand the excitement, the drama, the potential. If you get it right, you're going to have a sentiment. You are going to see 7p become £1.40. You can have a 20-bagger. You're not going to, or you're unlikely to get a 20-bagger if you're investing in a company making widgets. Uh, but you can get that from a resources play, just in the way you can get it from a biotech play. Yeah, 95% of biotechs, in fact, the number's about 99%, fail to get a drug into production. It's over 99%. But if you pick the right one, if you back the right resources play, you can have a 20-bagger, a 40-bagger, a 50-bagger, a 1,000-bagger. It is possible. That is the lure of it. Uh, that is the lure of the sector. It is also the lure of the national lottery, uh, which, as all well, I think it was all well pointed out, uh, 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 lotteries uh, are a tax on the stupid. Uh, the odds are you're not going to win the lottery. It's 14 million to one. Uh, your odds on making a killing uh, with an aim-listed stock are better than 14 million to one, but you won't be winning as much. Uh, but they're still incredibly long. Uh, it's more like uh, grand national odds uh, uh, when an outsider wins it. So maybe that's why we're attracted to it or why so many people are attracted to it. But I hope I've explained uh, over the past half hour why actually the odds are, the odds are heavily stacked against you. You are almost certain to lose money on it, particularly if you wade in uh, with a high degree of ignorance, just not understanding uh, the technicalities of the sector. Right. Uh, now uh, it's time for a very short break. Now, welcome back to part two of Share Profits Radio Edition 16. As you know, this show is free, and so it can only exist with the kind sponsorship of a number of organisations, in this case, Open Orphan PLC. Uh, it's rare that we get sponsorship from PLC, but I'm happy to take it from Open Orphan. Uh, it's a company where I'm a shareholder, I'm sitting on a profit, and I'm quite happy to hold uh, until I think I've made a far bigger profit. The shares are now 6, 7p, something like that. Uh, I'd be looking for them to get into double figures before due course. Anyhow, don't take my word for it. Uh, listen to Cathal Friel, the CEO, uh, talking on Share Profits Radio Edition 8, or follow the company on Twitter, at Open Orphan PLC. What's the first rule of investing? Uh, the first rule of investing is, of course, not to lose money by buying shares in ones that uh, in companies where the share price goes down. Uh, uh, that sounds like a simple rule. And actually, there are some very good ways of filtering out companies which are going to end in tears. Uh, the easiest way uh, of filtering out a whole raft of companies is just to avoid sectors uh, which are having all sorts of problems. Some sectors are cyclical, mining, oil and gas, uh, they're highly cyclical. House builders are highly cyclical. Uh, I'm not smart enough to call the top or the bottom of any particular market. So I'm not talking about those sectors, but you're talking about sectors where there are structural issues, structural decline. It has seen, seems to me that for the past four or five years, uh, there is no point in owning any retail stocks whatsoever. Uh, and equally, there is no point in owning shares in any companies which are exposed to resale. Uh, for instance, uh, Hammerson or Into, uh, uh, the big landlords to uh, 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 retail companies. 
why is that? Well, there are macro reasons, uh, which I uh, talk about on Bearcast on share profits on a regular basis. Uh, in the UK, uh, levels of personal debt are at all-time highs. Uh, levels of personal savings are at the lowest level since World War II. Uh, something has to give there. Uh, if you think the economy is going to carry on booming uh, or growing fast, uh, then maybe this bubble can be sustained for a while, but I'm not sure that it can be. Uh, this uh, de debt is quite simply unsustainable. I think consumers are starting to recognise that. Some people are worried about their jobs. Other people are realising that interest rates will one day uh, go up. Uh, at the moment, the direction seems to be downwards. But one day they will go up and they will realise that the debt levels they have are unsupportable. Uh, that's a, a, a macro picture with something that will play out over the next two or three years. But there's a structural issue with uh, retailers, and you know what it is. It's the internet. Uh, as each year goes by, people of my father's generation go on to a better place. Those are people who shop largely uh, offline. They shop in stores. They're replaced by uh, millennials, people who don't read books, think the world's going to end in 10 years because of global warming, uh, think that those of us over 50 shouldn't be allowed to vote in case we vote the wrong way, etc., etc. And millennials do an awful lot of their shopping online. Demographics just means more and more of us are going to do shopping online. It's more convenient. It's cheaper. Why wouldn't we? And uh, as that trend continues, you'll find fewer and fewer people visiting shopping centres, which means that the stores, which haven't yet gone bust, have fewer, uh, fewer people walking through on an accidental basis, accidental footfall, and therefore, inevitably, uh, they go the wrong way as well. Just with this week, we've seen Mother Claire closing 79 stores. Uh, uh, we've seen another bigger uh, baby retailers at Mamas and Papas shuttering up shop too. Uh, there will be more and more of these going forward. There is no point owning any retail stocks. Sure, you know, you might make some money trading next, uh, which is the sort of crown jewel in the retail uh, uh, crown. You might even make money day trading Hammerson. Uh, but long term, uh, there is no need to own stocks in such sectors. Uh, you can avoid losses by not backing IPOs. Uh, it was something I, I covered in Bearcast this week uh, on share profits. Uh, the average loss, if you'd backed every IPO since 1980, uh, uh, would have been 31%. Uh, IPOs are just bad investments. A lot of companies come to the market when uh, venture capitalists or other early investors are looking to sell. The fact that they want to sell their shares should tell you everything you need to know. If they want to sell, there's a good reason for that. You shouldn't be buying. Too often, companies come to the market and their management just are not cut out for public company life. They find the extra work, the regulations, things that they just can't handle. Maybe things they got away with as private companies come back to haunt them as public companies. Uh, overall, uh, the sort of companies that tend to be floated tend to be ones which are hot in hot sectors. Themes of the moments, ones where brokers and nomads can make huge fees floating them because the valuations are inflated, doesn't necessarily mean they're fundamentally sound businesses. So don't invest in IPOs. A uh, golden rule for me is never to own shares in a company where you can prove that the management teams uh, have lied to you. I've covered uh, both, I think, on Share Profits Radio, but certainly on Bearcast in recent weeks, clear evidence that two companies, uh, uh, Big Dish and Bidstack, have told quite monstrous lies to investors. I could never own shares in either of them, because the thing is, if you catch a company out telling a small lie, the odds are that there are going to be far bigger lies and possibly fraud going there as well. And the lies can be relatively small. I remember a couple of years ago, uh, the company now known as Cass and I was then known as Milestone, and it was doing a deal with some American company. Uh, the deal seemed sort of fairly spurious. The interesting thing was that the guy running the American company, who was going to be central to the company going forward, claimed to have gone to Oxford University. Something didn't quite ring true about that. And so, uh, as someone who actually did go to Oxford University, I knew where to look. And I contacted the university 
uh, alumni department and asked them to trawl through the records. And it was quite clear that the man had not been to Oxford University. Now, you may think it's a fairly minor lie telling uh, a, a, a porcupine on your CV saying you went to Oxford when I think, in fact, you went to uh, some sort of fairly obscure institution in the Midwest of America. You may think it's a fairly small lie, but why would someone tell that lie? Clearly to big himself up. But if he's telling that lie, what other lies is he capable of? Uh, uh, that, for me, uh, uh, made the company as it then was, Milestone, completely uninvestable. Um, uh, there is uh, 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 management is a key thing here, uh, uh, and if you catch if you catch a manager out where they're clearly telling a lie or doing sort of related party transactions, all of those uh, are things where you want to avoid them completely. Uh, there is a rule of thumb that. Uh, a company uh, which uh, appears to be uh, lying, by the way, doesn't have to be a total lie. It can be a mislead. Uh, if a company is, a company can make a statement which is true, but which, if you investigate it in enough detail, is deceptive. My mind goes back uh, about 25 years ago to when I was investigating a company called Proteus International. <laughs> Uh, which was complete and utter fraud, uh, uh, and uh, it claimed to be developing drugs using computers. Uh, in fact, it was using, I think, an Amstrad word processing machine. It had no chance whatsoever of developing any drugs uh, uh, or getting anywhere with them. Uh, nonetheless, it t- made a number of uh, utterly disgraceful claims and managed to promote its shares so that it could raise a lot of money, uh, much of which went to the CEO and his sidekick. The mislead in the case of Proteus, well, there were many, there were many misleads, and some, I think, outright lies, uh, uh, but a mislead was the claim that the company had done a deal with GlaxoSmithKline and that this was highly significant and terribly important and validated the company's technology uh, for uh, reasons of commercial confidentiality, like Glaxo gave a fuck. Uh, 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 Proteus was unable to declare the terms. I discovered those terms uh, and published details, and the deal was involved GlaxoSmithKline making a payment of £10,000. I think to put it in perspective, uh, GlaxoSmithKline's spending on R&D this year will be about £10 billion. It was truly insignificant. It is like you or I paying a penny over uh, to buy an asset or buy access to technology. It was a complete joke. It didn't validate the technology of Proteus in any way, shape or form. It was merely a ramp in order to get the share price higher. So whilst not an outright lie, it was designed to mislead. There was another biotech company I covered uh, a couple of years after that, ML Labs, uh, which at one stage was, uh, I think, valued at something like 500 million quid. Uh, It put out data, uh, uh, this is in the era when AIDS was killing people. Uh, Proteus, needless to say, uh, claimed to have a cure for AIDS, which of course it didn't. Uh, uh, but ML Labs put out data saying that he had treated, uh, had done a clinical st- study of one of its products uh, on AIDS patients, uh, and that this had shown remarkable results. I pushed the company and pushed the company and pushed the company, uh, and eventually it fessed up. Uh, not before ramping the shares up to a level which allowed the CEO to sell a large number of shares and the company to raise a lot more money. Uh, but eventually, it fessed up that there had only been five patients in this trial, and moreover, all of them had died. It is just that they had died uh, a little bit later uh, than had been expected. It wasn't statistical. Uh, it was no way close to validating the company's drug, which, as it happened, uh, didn't work. Uh, but it was misleading in terms of its headline. If companies mislead in a material extent, and I accept that all companies try and spin news in the best possible way, 
But if they mislead in a material way, and I think the claims made by ML Labs and Proteus about its cures for AIDS, despite, as well as being utterly unethical, they gave hope to people who at that stage uh, uh, had just been given a death sentence, uh, uh, false hope, so were utterly unethical. But they deliberately misled investors. Uh, the facts they stated uh, were not necessarily untrue, but the overall impression of the release was misleading. When you compound this uh, uh, with the fact that management, in the case of ML Labs, sold a large number of shares, it was 55 million quid's worth of shares, something like that, uh, on the back of this spurious data, uh, you can see this as a major red flag. The uh, uh, another uh, uh, classic sign of companies you should avoid are ones where uh, there is no institutional backing, uh, and the support, the shareholder list, is entirely composed of private investors uh, who display a certain type of activity on bulletin boards. Uh, a case study in recent years was CloudTag, uh, a company which was obviously a complete and utter fraud, uh, but where if you believed the bulletin boards, uh, there were uh, hundreds of people posting or hundreds of people suckered into this company and they were posting the most extravagant claims, uh, the wildest assumptions uh, about the share price target. Uh, and for anyone who questioned uh, CloudTag, whether you questioned its business model, uh, um, CloudTag was a company, by the way, which told outright lies in terms of distribution deals uh, and misled the market by not revealing that its distribution deals, which were meant to have guaranteed income, uh, clearly were having no income whatsoever. So CloudTag failed a number of tests already, the lying and misleading to investors, uh, being in a uh, sort of hot sector, uh, and having a relatively little track record. It wasn't an IPO, but it had a relatively short track record. Uh, those were uh, big red flags already. But the behavior of its investors. At a certain time, CloudTag had a fairly decent market cap. Had it been a proper company, it would have attracted a couple of institutional investors. It attracted none. That should be a warning sign. But the behavior of its disciples on the bulletin boards, whipped up by a, 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 a CEO promoting the company, uh, was quite remarkable. It will be a case study in the madness of crowds. At the very least, when you see so many people who are so aggressively long uh, and uh, uh, nobody going onto the bulletin boards to challenge these people, uh, uh, you wonder where will the next wave of buyers come from? Some of these people are going to have to sell to cover uh, their other habits, their other expenses, their other losses. Where will the next wave of buyers come from? Of course, there would be no other wave of buyers outside the core group of disciples. But the euphoria, the unwillingness to accept things which are proven facts. Uh, so in the case of CloudTag, uh, we demonstrated it claimed to have a uh, contract which was worth a minimum of 5.2 million, uh, I think it was dollars, it may have been pounds, over one year, and to have certain minimum quarterly commitments. Well, the company then served up uh, uh, results and trading statements which showed quite clearly that the minimum quarterly commitments from this distribution deal were not being met. So you had, uh, at that point, proof hard proof, factual evidence that the original statement, which needless to say had been followed by the issuance of much confetti, the original statement had to be false. Now, of course, in a properly regulated market, uh, the nomad would have resigned because its client had been shown to have lied. In the end, the nomad cloud tag did resign, uh, but it should have resigned a lot sooner when it was demonstrated that the company's statement about having these minimum guaranteed orders uh, was a lie uh, uh, and had been proven to be a lie. But if you looked at the reaction to when this evidence, this proof, was served up by myself and others on the bulletin boards, uh, you'll see that people were in complete denial. Uh, we could have 
uh, uh, shown evidence that we've we found pictures of the CEO pilfering money from the company's safe and, and, and snorting it up his nose. Uh, well, I hasten to say we didn't, but had we found those and published them, uh, the supporters on the bulletin boards would have said this is irrelevant. Often, uh, when uh, uh, uncomfortable facts are presented by a company, people will say, oh, yes, but it's just a small little bit of a fraud. It doesn't really matter. You've got to look at the bigger picture. Or, oh, it happened quite a long time ago, and things have moved on from then. Well, in my experience, uh, if companies have got away with little frauds at the beginning, uh, they'll be getting away with much larger frauds as the series, uh, uh, as life goes on. But what's interesting in CloudTag as a case study is the fact that people are just unwilling to accept uh, uh, that uh, uh, facts which show that they've bought into a lie. That sort of madness of crowds phenomenon. If one looks at stocks where this is exhibited today, uh, Vasarian would be a case in point. Is a company with a market cap of 175 million uh, and whose core product has sales of less than a million and is losing money. The valuation is obviously bonkers. Uh, you have the company uh, 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 announcing deals and then sort of forgetting about them as they just fail to happen. So, in that sense, it has clearly misled investors. Uh, you have a CEO who dumps shares on the back of spurious announcements, but none of this matters. None of this matters. You can prove these things about Vasarian. You can raise all these questions. You can raise some very dubious acquisitions that the company has done. Uh, and uh, still, it makes no difference. Uh, uh, the supporters say that you're only criticizing it because you are a de-ramper. You are short. You want to get in at a lower level. Uh, uh, in the case of another company where uh, I have proven of late that uh, the company is run by a complete liar, Bidstack, and uh, where the company's owed a profits warning, and the CEO has sold shares, even though he's sitting on a profits warning. You can put all this evidence, but the disciples refuse to accept it. That is a very worrying sign. In the case of Bidstack, apparently I'm only criticizing it because I'm in the pay of the Israeli government. Whatever. Uh, incidentally, if there's anyone from the Israeli government listening, I've got a, got a holiday coming up. So if you want to send a check through, I'd be very grateful. Uh, but so far, nothing from the bastards. Uh, so the Visarian bid stack, I think, would be my current favorites in terms of wild over-enthusiasm from bulletin boards. Always a, a, a terribly uh, bad sign. Uh, debt. Uh, is a debt and, and a, a growth driven largely by acquisition. Uh, sometimes there are some companies which can take on debt and which can grow by acquisition and do well from acquisitions. Uh, Vin Muria of Advanced Computer Software uh, has taken on debt uh, uh, as she's done her buy and build models. And she's done acquisitions, and she has created value. She is an exception. She is an exceptional woman. The fact that she's managed to do this uh, just marks her out as, as truly exceptional. Most acquisitions actually destroy value for the acquiring company. Uh, therefore, for companies to spend uh, uh, money which is borrowed on making acquisitions is a high-risk strategy. I am very nervous of companies where nearly all of the growth appears to come from acquisitions, where organic growth is pretty mediocre. I'm doubly nervous if this is done by taking on vast amounts of debt. Uh, companies that take on vast amounts of debt, well, it can work if you catch the cycle right, if your earnings grow up, you, you make great acquisitions. Uh, by gearing up the company, you can increase the rewards for shareholders if it can go right. But in most cases, it doesn't go right. And when you have a downturn in earnings because the acquisitions you made really weren't that good anyway, or because the economy gets worse and you just suffer macro things, then you're left with debt which you certainly won't be able to repay uh, and which you possibly can't even support. And uh, 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 as we've seen with companies like Thomas Cook uh, recently, in the end, the debt swallows you up. So if you can avoid companies which are overborrowed, and especially if they've become overborrowed making a series of acquisitions, or I suppose actually are overborrowed in order to do share buybacks, uh, which achieves nothing. It may flatter the short-term share performance, uh, 
uh, uh, but uh, in the end, I don't believe uh, that it creates value. It doesn't create any value. Uh, it merely allows some shareholders to sell. Uh, a key to point here would be diversified uh, gas and oil, the largest oil company on the AIM casino. It's taken on a lot of debt, both for acquisitions, some of which look fairly sort of odd in terms of accounting terms, but also for numerous share buybacks. That exposes the company to all sorts of risks. If you can avoid uh, these sort of broad brushings, it doesn't require intense financial analysis. Uh, of course, when you're unearthing the biggest frauds, uh, it does take a lot of hard crunching numbers, hard financial analysis. But this rather broad brush approach, uh, something favoured by my friend Roger Lawson of ShareSock uh, and promoted in his recent book, where he says you can look at companies without necessarily looking at the numbers and you can spot some of the red flags. To a certain extent, he's absolutely right. If you can avoid all of these companies, uh, uh, these companies which display one, two, or in some cases more uh, of these bad things which I have uh, uh, flagged up, uh, you're going to be avoiding a whole load of companies which are going to deliver you losses. Making money from shares uh, uh, is going to be that much easier if you can avoid them. Of course, the other lesson is you should listen to the writers or read the writers on share profits. Share profits is a kind of unusual website. Most websites about shares are there for the bulls. They're giving you buy tips, things to buy, things to fill your boots with, uh, promoting all sorts of rubbish. Now, that is not the job of share profits. Our writers are there occasionally to produce buy tips where they have a really conviction buy, but mainly uh, to point out bad things going on in the stock markets, cases of clear overvaluation, uh, things which are smelly, related party deals. I think uh, over the summer of the property transactions at Park Me Group involving Tom Cross and his fragrant wife, Linda. Uh, whatever one thinks of Park, uh, Park Mead as an investment proposition, those related party transactions were so smelly that I couldn't bring myself to invest in those shares under any circumstances whatsoever. Now, I may be wrong, but generally, generally, it could just be that Mr. Cross has bought some good oil assets, uh, and notwithstanding the smelly related party transactions not involving oil assets, the company prospers. That could be the case. But history tells you that where companies engage in smelly related party transactions, especially when they're outside of the core business of that company, it usually ends in tears. Therefore, the safe investor looking to avoid losses, to, to follow that golden rule of investing, don't buy shares in companies where the shares may go down, will avoid any company where there are such smelly related party deals. As I said, the job of the share profits team of writers, not just myself, but the whole team, is to identify such companies and warn you about them. We're often accused of doing it only because we're short or because we're de-rampers, bashers. We're looking to get in on the cheap. Au contraire, most of the companies that we write about are stock are companies where there is no borrow. Because there are no institutional investors, for very good reasons, there is no borrow. So you can't short them. Uh, it is a myth. Pushed by CEOs of shitty little companies at the bottom end of AIM, our share price is going down because of shorters. <laughs> Their stock can't be shorted. It's just an obvious lie. So when a CEO tells you that, he's lying, and that should be a reason not to own his stock. Usually, shares in those companies are going down because they're piss-poor companies, or because they've got very bad death spiral funding, or because they're running out of money and they're massively discounted bailout placing yet another one is on the cards there are very good reasons why shares in those companies are going down so most of the stock that we write about where we expose overvaluation and we save our readers money uh, are stocks where we couldn't be short even if we wanted to and we don't want to be short the idea uh, that our read our writers will be writing something merely to knock the share price so they could buy into a piece of shit at a slightly lower level uh, is equally preposterous. Why would you want to buy into a bad company run by a liar or doing related party deals or with a gaping black hole in their finances at any price? Of course you wouldn't. 
Okay, that's it for this edition of Share Profits Radio. I hope you've enjoyed this. If you like uh, the sort of thing that I talk about and you want to have uh, uh, more exposés about companies on the AIM Casino, sign up to Share Profits. We run around about 300 articles a month, of which 30 of those are bearcast podcasts by myself, which go out on a daily basis. It costs only $5.99 a month to access the full service with all of those bearcasts. Uh, We break stories every week. We warn about placings that are on the way. We expose fraud. We expose companies for lying. We expose overpromotes. No other website in the UK does that, uh, certainly in the way that we do it. So uh, if you want more of this, sign up. It costs $5.99. If you do that, I'll speak to you tomorrow in Bearcast. If you don't, if you're a cheapskate, well, you'll lose out in the end because we do save our readers money by warning about such situations. Anyhow, if you're a cheapskate, I will speak to you next week in the next edition of Share Profits Radio. Speak to you then.